Welcome to The Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, and less ukulele. Now, before we begin, we want to make sure that you go back and listen to episode 96 of the main show, aka the one that came out last week, and listen to the experiment that we did with sponsor Atlantic Brew Supply at HomebrewCon 2019. Trust me, you're going to want to listen to this and see just how badly we did. Now, on this episode, we're all about reuse and also about new and interesting ingredients. While at HomebrewCon, we heard our crazy beer-themed hair dude friend, Phil, talking about using a byproduct of the flour milling process in his beer making. Can using middlings crack the riddle of rich and flavorful beer at lower alcohol levels? Sit back and let's find out. But first, a message from our sponsors. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. This episode is brought to you by Brewers Publications, publisher of none other than Simple Home Brewing by two guys named Denny Kahn and Drew Beecham. Maybe, just maybe, you've heard of them. If you want to streamline your brew day, make great beer, and have a blast in the process, head over to BrewersPublications.com and buy a copy of Simple Home Brewing. The American Homebrewers Association, a community of more than 45,000 individuals who share a common passion, beer. Since 1978, the AHA has promoted and advanced the most delicious hobby in the world, providing brewing resources, supporting homebrewer-friendly legislation, offering exclusive member deals at breweries and homebrew shops, and hosting one-of-a-kind events like HomebrewCon and the National Homebrew Competition. Join your beer-loving peers at homebrewersassociation.org. still at HomebrewCon. Well, at least now we're at HomebrewCon. By the time you hear this, we're not at HomebrewCon anymore. I'm sorry. I'm, we're not set for real-time distribution yet. But I'm sitting here with a couple of beers in front of me. What are these beers, sir? These are beers brewed with and without wheat middlings, which is a novel ingredient that I'm proposing that homebrewers should adopt to brew with as a great way to deliver lots of grain flavor, but with lower alcohol content. Okay, that leads to two questions. One, who are you? And two, what is a wheat middling? Right. I am Phil Jensen. Uh, I've been brewing beer since 1986. Scientist by training, now a professional distiller. My confession is that I'm an extremely efficient brewer. 
So to keep my ABV under control, like I said, I'm brewing 30 years, so that means I've got some age on me. So <laughs> I like my, my beers to have a little lower alcohol. So if I'm really efficient, then that means I use less grain. To keep the alcohol under control, using less grain means I have less flavor. So it's always been a conundrum. Thankfully, I brew a lot of lagers and lighter styles, so those seem to deal a little better with a little less grain in there. If I was doing lots of IPAs and things like that, or have, you know, big, big multi-beers, that could be an issue, but that's not what I brew. So I came across these wheat middlings. I was talking with a small grains professor at Penn State, came to the distillery, and we just got opened. We were chatting, and somehow we got in the topic of of wheat, and he mentioned wheat middlings, which are basically what they polish off the outer layers of grain to make a white flour. So if you have white flour versus whole, you know, whole wheat flour, the difference is the middlings. So whole wheat, the whole grain's in there, obviously. Whole, duh. <laughs> Whereas in white flour, they polish all those layers off. Well, all those layers they polish off is where all the flavor is. I think the difference between a white loaf of white bread and a loaf of whole wheat bread. Big difference in flavor there. So I'm taking advantage of that. The middlings have a little bit of starch, but about a third of the starch varies from, from mill to mill. But most of the flavor of the grain is located in, in the outer layers, the middlings. Mm -hmm. So it's usually told as animal feed. The mill I get it from, same place we get our, our wheat and rye for our distillery, um, charges me five bucks for a 50-pound bag. So, so, it's, it's, so it's almost nothing. Um, that's, that's probably more than they're selling it for animal feed. A big drawback to the stuff is that it is milled relatively finely, and that tends to go bad. It's like if, if any bakers out there, um, if you have whole wheat flour you've had around for a, a little while, holds around too long, it will, it will go stale and go rancid. Right. Same thing happens with the middlings. Yeah, it's all the oil that's out there. All the oil that's in there, yeah, which doesn't seem to be a problem with brewing. Well, and oil tends to carry flavor. And, yes. But it also tends to react with oxygen. Correct. So you get these... Middlings, and so if I'm following you correctly, then the idea is you're looking at middlings as a way to inject more oomph to the beer, correct? Without necessarily injecting more sugar and carbohydrates and gravity, correct? A lot of extra protein too, which I think a lot of brewers tend to think about. You know, if I want more body in my beer, I just need to mash warmer, so I have more residual larger larger sugars to give it more body. Well, you can also get more body by adding a lot more protein too. So it's a great way to add a lot of body to your beer because there's higher protein in the middlings. Okay, so what do we have here with the beer-wise then? So I talked yesterday at the conference here, and I brewed up a sessionable American wheat, 4.3% alcohol. I brewed one batch using traditional Pilsner malts and, uh, well, traditional for me, Pilsner malts and uh, wheat malt. And then I brewed a batch where I substituted the wheat middlings for the wheat malt. Okay, and so... Let's give these a we'll, shot. We'll do the, the control first, which would be the, the standard wheat with no middlings. Okay. With a cap with a W. Or an M. It's confusing. I just quick bottle a couple of bottles of this before the before I drove here for the conference. Okay. So, I mean, what we've got in the glass here is, you know, pale yellow, nice little fine bubbling, little white head. It's got your standard sort of weedy aroma. Yeah. I mean, it's decent beer. I mean, it's... It's an American wheat beer. Easy drinkable. I, I tend to like my wheat beers a little thin and crisp. Mm -hmm. So that, this, is, this is to my taste. Oh, yeah, it's, it, it's definitely not the sort of big oomph of like a, a, a Bavarian Hefeweizen. No, you know. it's 4.3% alcohol. Right. Okay, so that's our, that's our standard American wheat. Then we have 
Same beer, just with the middlings instead. Pretty close to the same numbers in terms of OG and FG. And so this was straight up replacement wheat malt middlings? I put a little bit, left a little bit of the wheat malt in, just figuring there's enzymes in wheat malt that are really good at breaking down stuff that's in wheat. Mm-hmm. So I kept just a little bit of well, wheat malt in there just for the enzymes. A little bit, uh, you know, still that same, uh, still that same pale yellow, but all right, and this one's got a, it's a slight, little hazier. Yeah, slight haze. Yeah. Um, very nice head on this one, actually, you know, in comparison, you know, a little bit, a little bit taller. And then the aroma, you still got the wheat, but now you got all this sort of grainy hay, you know, and, and I know it's my imagination, but there's also that little bit, uh, kind of a husky. It, it is raw wheat. So it's not malted wheat that they use. So this is, this flavor is going to be a little different than malt, but it's, it's still wheat flavor. Yeah, and then so, I mean, it's still light and crisp, but now there's. Now there's this whole midsection to the beer. Right. It's got a lot more body. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, and even the hop feels a little more pronounced. Yeah, I brewed these back-to-back, same hop, same everything. Um, yeah, it's very different. And so, again, we're talking pretty much just a straight-up replacement minus some, you know, minus a little bit of wheat malt of the middlings, which relatively cheap. <laughs> Quite cheap. <laughs> if you can get it, that's the one drawback. Well, okay, so let's, let's talk about that. How would somebody go about getting this? I would say you're going to find a, a, a local mill and, and give them a cold call and say, hey, I heard this talk. This guy was brewing with middlings. Can I get some? And it's going to vary from mill to mill. I mean, I'm fortunate that the, this is the mill we work with to get our grain for the distillery. So I've got a little bit of working relationship with them. Um, this is not something they normally do. Normally, the middlings just go out through a big chute into a you know into a 18-wheeler, you know, hauling a big giant trailer, and it goes off to some farmer for animal feed. You want just the right size. If, if they're too big, you know, it's not worth their while to deal with it. This is a, this is a kind of local wall, but it runs 24-7. Those machines in the mill are running 24-7. So they, they're making a fair bit of flour there, both rye and wheat flour. And I have like a a little local mill, you know, but, yes. they're, but they're the kind of mill that brings in like Tibetan purple barley and makes flour out of it. <laughs> yeah, it depends. You know, if, if they're making whole grains and that's their focus, you may, they may not have anything, but it's, it's worth a call. Again, it's. I mean, you were saying it was five dollars for like a fifty-pound sack. Correct. And how you did mention that they can go rancid. How much? How much shelf life do they have? I, I'm I'm lazy, so they typically sit in my basement, which doesn't get that warm. I'm, this is Pennsylvania, um, so it usually gets, stays below seventy. It's in the winter. It's down to fifty, and so it's down there, and it's, it's, the bag just sits down in the basement. It's not sealed. Yeah, I don't, I don't package it up. I have put some in the freezer before and they were in the fridge before. But uh, for me, it's just after six months, I just go buy another bag. <laughs> it may only be half gone. It may not, be, may not even be you know a third gone. I just go buy another bag. <laughs> there. And so how, how, how often do the wheat middlings end up in your beers? As well? I'm, I'm just uh, – I, I started messing with them a little while ago, but re- more recently I've gotten – more serious to, about playing with them. Um, and I have some more experiments planned. I, I, most of my beers, I put like a half pound of wheat malt in just, just to like the extra protein. Uh, I'm thinking about maybe putting a quarter pound of middlings in in place of the wheat malt. That'd probably give me the same effect. We have wheat middlings. And I mean, the way I'm thinking about them then is it's kind of like how we go and we make sushi rice where you polish off all the outside Correct, yeah. the stuff of the sushi, which means that there has to be rice middlings. Uh, there has to be other middlings, right? I assume so. Yeah, if, if if someone's making flour from it, there's a chance that there could be middlings. I'm I'm I mean, 
So my holy grail is is malted barley middlings. As I know, there are companies that make you know malted milk powder, or there's malt powder that's used for in baking. Mm-hmm. And I'm suspect I've seen, you know, I've looked, I've seen that, and it doesn't look like it's whole grain malt powder. So that suggests somewhere out there, somebody. So, so all you listeners out there, <laughs> if, you, if, you've, if you're working with um, uh, malt powder for baking or something like that, and you have a supplier, you know, check with the supplier and say, hey, what do, what do you do with the waste from that? Because that, that could be really interesting. To play with, yeah, that would be a whole. Hmm, I'm trying to think, that would be interesting to see what that that flavor would be. Yeah, because that would be malted, and it would just have, have all the flavor you want. So I mean, I'd be tempted. I mean, in theory, you could do 100% malted barley middlings beer. <laughs> I mean, you could brew your, you know, your uh, barley wine to 8% alcohol or 6% alcohol, and still have all that rich malt character. Well, I do think it's interesting to. I mean, we spend so much time talking about the flavor, but particularly in like how to increase hop flavor. Right. Yeah, you know, it's just oh, more hops, more hops, more hops, more hops. Right. And I've always been curious to see, okay, what are people going to think about in order to do grain and malt? Right. So this is an option. That's my thing. When you know, with not session IPAs are getting common, and I've messed with session IPAs myself. I figured out some pretty good ways to um, get a pretty good hop load mm-hmm. into a you know four and a half percent. IPA, quote unquote, uh, but uh, they always tend to be a little thin and, and lacking in grain character. So that's, that's one of my next experiments. I have not done that yet. Is to is to do a heavy wheat middling session IPA. See if I can correct some of the you know lackings I find. I might, whenever I see a session IPA, I want to try it. And I taste the same thing. I was like, oh, it's got great hops. I wish it had more grain character. You almost always get like a very thin experience. Yeah, out of balance. Yeah. And, you know, balance is, balance is still a dirty word on this podcast. <laughs> okay, so that's the, the wheat middlings. But, of course, you, you did not just come armed with a middlings beer. I did not. I, 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 well, it's, this is not just a middlings beer. This is uh, uh, Denny Kahn's famous rye IPA brewed with rye middlings. There we go. To see. So that's, you know, I've, I've focused on my talk yesterday was, you know, Brewing sessionable beers that still have great grain flavor. So that's one very nice use of these middlings. However, like I said, they provide a lot of flavor with low alcohol. That doesn't mean you can't put it in a higher alcohol beer and really amp up the wheat flavors, or in this case, the rye flavors. So this is basically a way to make a super rye beer. Yeah, lots of rye flavor. And so when I manage this, is all the sticky stuff that makes rye a pain in the ass to deal with. A lot, a lot of those compounds are in the starchy endosperm so when you're working with middlings those aren't there right so you can really amp up the rye content and not have a gooey sparge mess because i haven't yet so i was gonna say that you're you're tempting the universe um <laughs> yes i am so we got a, a you know sort of a beautiful uh, amberish uh, orange uh, with a very nice uh, uh, little tannish head it's kind of very finely bubbled do you it, it, i'm guessing you said the middlings give more protein, so yep. in theory, also probably yeah, helping with that. Should have both head retention. Yeah, okay. absolutely. All right, uh, this one also does have a little bit of haze to it, but I think the rye IPA usually does. Yeah, this is three weeks old, so it's just the limit of. I would like it to be a week older. Right. Rushed it for the conference. That never happens. No. When I sent the first batch, I sent off sent Danny a bottle to get his, get his comments on it because I was debating. You know, so I was basically. Deciding, do I want to try and keep the rye character the same, 
or to amp it up. So I basically did a, did a pound for pound replacement of the rye malt with the rye middlings, which is ultimately I, I was proposing would be amping up the rye flavor. So I thought, well, if I amp up the rye, that's going to throw the hops out of balance. Should I add more hops to it? So I sent Denny a sample. And what was his response? He said, delicious. <laughs> that sounds like Denny. What's the recipe? <laughs> so I rebrewed it to a little lower gravity. Well, and what I'm getting now, this is uh, super rye. Yeah, so I get the I get the cascade and I get the, like all the hops that Denny. It's Mount Hood and Columbus. That's right, Mount Hood and Columbus. I always forget. I get the I get what kind of Denny fan are you? <laughs> the terrible one. <laughs> so uh, yeah, but I'm getting the, that big American hop character. I'm getting you know that bite in the back end, but yet the front of it is all that rye. It's almost too much. I would have to say I would like a little more hops in this. I think. A little more, you know, dry hopping. Yeah, I'm I'm inclined to agree with you because I mean, it, it, right now this is rye beer with hops. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> um, but again, that's really impressive. It's like all the, it's all the spicy notes of the rye, mm-hmm. but without. I mean, when you're using a lot of rye, you'll sometimes get that very oily type slickness to it. Right. Yeah. And this doesn't have that slickness. It's just like. A big hunk of rye bread. Yeah, I like. I'm, I'm really a big fan of this. Um, one of the problems I've had with rye beers over the years is, you know, you get to see rye IPA and you have it, and you're trying to put in your head pick out, you know, what exactly is the rye flavor. You know, oftentimes, more often than not, in in, in rye beers, there's usually some crystal malt in there, and so that I f- find kind of music. You know, it's kind of hard to dissect out the sweetness from the crystal malts, and then the rye kind of blends into that. I mean, it works great, makes great beer, but to actually pull out and say, oh, I really got the rye in this. Uh, you can't not get the rye in this. No. No, this <laughs> Even with really... the pound of crystal malt in a five-gallon batch. Yeah, this is rye-licious. <laughs> and, I mean, it's very, I mean, it's very, very intensely rye, uh, rye-like. So, again, doing basically just a one-to-one substitution with the rye middlings. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So yeah, that is, that is that is definitely. I mean, again, this is very step on the gas in, in terms of things. I'd be curious what it would be like with you know, say fifty percent middlings, fifty percent rye malt. You know, yeah. you know, just kind of pull back on that on that accelerator a little bit. But still, it's yeah. I, I, I can't think of any other way yeah. to say it except for that. Yeah, I'm gonna, actually, we're going to try and create Phil's famous rye IPA <laughs> using middlings. And I'm going to uh, take this beer down. This is 7.2. I said, I'm old. Denny's old. What the hell is he drinking? Seven, two beers. Um, De- Denny's stout. <laughs> I'm a little stout. Um, but I'd like to get this down to like 6.2, mm-hmm. 6%, and have it deliver everything that his recipe delivers at you know one ABV or more higher. Well, I'd be curious, since you were talking about session IPAs, doing like a, a rye session IPA or rye yeah. pale ale with this. Another thing that'd be kind of fun, which is not the style I brew. Occasionally brew, usually it's just when I want to, and I've got, you know, 10 pounds left in a bag and I wanna, I've got a fresh bag of grain sitting there waiting. I'll occasionally, once or twice a year, brew something ridiculous, 10, 12% alcohol. I've never seen a rye barley wine out there. I guess it would be a, uh, wouldn't be a barley wine. because it'd, it'd be a rye wine. But they're kind of curious to try, you know, uber rye. So, like, try and uh, you what you you'd want to try and do a whole a whole rye. I probably wouldn't do all rye, but I, I would, you know, fifty percent malt, fifty percent you know, fifty percent barley malt, fifty percent middlings, and get it up to nine percent alcohol. Ooh, that could be interesting. Yeah, and th- and and same thing for a wheat wine. Mm-hmm. 
the middlings might be really great in a wheat wine. Right. To really push the wheat notes in that. So this is, I mean, it's a very interesting character. And to think that it comes from effectively a waste product. Correct. A- animal feed. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, we do have to face the facts. That, I mean, like, you know, most of, like, the barley that's grown here in the U.S., for instance. Is animal all, feed. Yeah, almost all of it's animal feed. You know, the stuff that actually ends up as malting quality barley is a tiny part of it. Correct. So, you know, the fact that, like, that we have this whole waste process that's in place for for reuse doesn't surprise me in the least because it's like, hey, that's that's how you make a food chain yeah. very efficient. Actually, the wheat middlings, the farmers really like it. It's it's a little tricky to handle. They actually do. I haven't I have not found a source. I've not tried it yet. But I, I, talking with the farmer, we we deal with to get our grain from the distillery. He uses wheat middlings in his, as as part of his blend in his animal feed, and he uses the same stuff I use. But apparently, there's some company somewhere that will actually pelletize the middlings. Basically, you know, run, run, it through, run it through a pelleting machine, and that's so it makes a a little more flowable, a little easier to handle for for using animal feed. I'm kind of curious to try that for for brewing too. Basically, it'd be like hot pellets, but it'd be grain pellets. You know, <laughs> well, you know, I I just had a very bad thought, and I'm going to hate myself for saying this, but you almost need to take the wheat and the rye, the middlings, and make a saison, so that you can talk about the fact that you've made a farmhouse beer from farmhouse ingredients. Lots of things. I'll, I would probably do a rye saison because mm-hmm. I know you're a saison fan. I don't like to put wheat in my saisons. And my and my saison usually like my my uh, base touch. Yeah, my base my base saison recipe almost always has like a pound of wheat malt in it, and yeah, just for purposes. But I'm yeah, I'm not. I, I'm I rarely push big heavy wheat tones in a in a saison. I have done rye saisons in the past, and those are fun. Now, wit beer. Mm-hmm. That could be something. That's interesting, yeah, because yeah, again, you get all that all that wheat flavor. Because a lot of wit beers, my problem with them is they always lack body, yeah. and they're always very thin, which is hard up against that spice right. and that yeast character. So yeah, well, wit beer would be interesting with this as well. So again, you know, these are the middlings, which are really just the waste product of flour making, Making polished flours. Yeah. So if you guys have a local mill, and guess what, you do have a local mill. There's probably a mill somewhere within spitting distance of your uh, of your town. You can call them up, and as I'm going to say, I always do with people that I'm going to ask some sort of weird question of. Be very nice, yeah, very, absolutely. You know, be be very gentle in your approach. But more than likely, if you come up to somebody and say, "Hey, yeah, so I'm doing this, and I heard about this stuff. Do you guys have it? And can I have some of it?" One. You know, depending upon the quantities that you're talking about, they may just give you some stuff for free. That's yes, that's it's possible. Uh, and two, if not, they'll probably charge you something ridiculously tiny for it. The one uh, caveat that I would say is that you know there's going to be probably batch to batch variation from and, and the mill to mill variation. Now, when I was re- researching the topic and getting some trying to get some hard numbers on various things, and there's you know, of course a lot of research done looking at the, using these for animal feed, and I saw papers where they would have you know middlings from five different mills and they're looking at the various chemical properties of them and yeah they're all variable so the starch content can run from you know uh 25 percent to 37 percent different protein levels yeah so it's something you gotta get a batch and and do a little experimenting before you can dial it in 
Good thing we're home brewers and not commercial brewers. That's right. <laughs> I'm working on that. I've got a local home brewer, a local a local brew pub that he's very interested. He's put a little bit into one batch. But I said, well, you we need to do a rye beer. And he says, yeah, everyone tells me you need to brew a rye IPA. So he brews a rye IPA and then no one buys it. Yep. <laughs> It's funny how that works. It's funny how that works, yeah. So, uh, but maybe I can convince them to, uh, actually, well, that's one thing I want to try. Don't try this at home because I want to try it with my friend first. I want to try a Rye New England IPA because this guy does very good New England IPAs at his brew pub. Um, so I wonder if he can do a, a Rye New England IPA. Basically, turn, I know, sorry, Danny Sacrilegious, <laughs> turn your Rye IPA into a New England style. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think, didn't say that, Denny. <laughs> I was going to say, I think for your safety, I'm not telling Dave that you said that. But no, I think this is this is really cool. I mean, I like the sort of rescuing something that would otherwise disappear into the food chain yeah. and see if we can't get some other interesting, unusual, you know, effect out of it. Yeah. That's that's sort of my modus operandi. I mean, at work, I work at a distillery, and we have a cocktail bar. And then we were, you know, we're also, I was juicing, you know, lemons. So I've got all these lemons that have been juiced. What can I do with those? Well, you know, you can pack those in salt and and, and uh, make preserved lemons, even though it's just the rind, and then use those in cocktails, and it tastes pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> we make a berry that. syrup, and they take the berries afterwards, dehydrate them, and that's kind of like it makes great granola. <laughs> a lot of us have forgotten the fine art of uh, reuse. Reuse, yes. So this is very cool. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to share pleasure. this with me. AHA members, you'll be able to, within a short period of time after the conference, log into the AHA's website and actually be able to download uh, Phil's slides and also the audio of your talk so that you can catch up and actually hear the whole spiel about why you should try putting middlings in your beer. That's right. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We hope that you enjoyed this look at, well, a strange product that maybe can give your beer a malt boost like no other. I'm telling you, the samples filled poured for me. Yeah, they were intense. It's kind of strange. And I know, it's always fun to talk about a flavor other than hops. Let's keep talking about that. Now, remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. You can reach us at denny at experimentalbrew.com or drew at experimentalbrew.com. You can find us on Twitter at EXP Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, and just about every homebrew forum out there. And of course, you can always find us at www.experimentalbrew.com. And don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts. Click the AHABrewswag.com code word experimental, Amazon Brewers Friends or BYO links on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year, well, we're still determining it, so wait for the announcement. Until next time, remember, the brew is out there, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Brew Files. Family-owned Atlantic Brew Supply is the biggest homebrew shop in the Southeast. No gimmicks, no multinational corporate overlords, and no BS. Unique ingredients from local suppliers, including malt from neighboring artisan malt house Epiphany Craft Malts and award-winning recipe kits, including the Toll, Raleigh Brewing Company's GABF-winning Imperial Oatmeal Stout. Plus, we've got pro-level equipment and the best-in-cask supply equipment from sister companies ABS Commercial and Cask Supply. Malts, extracts, and more, all available by the ounce, an on-site calculator to help you craft your best brew, same-day order processing, and guaranteed two-day shipping for East Coast customers. 
Get 15% off your first order when you use the coupon code BREWFILES at checkout at Atlantic Brew Supply. 